Go ahead and turn, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be taking up at verse 44. This morning we are going to be completing the parables that Jesus uh, began a couple weeks ago for us. It's interesting because as I have been looking through these parables, I've noticed that there's, there's kind of a structure to them. And I kind of mentioned it last week, how two weeks before when, uh, when the Lord was doing the, um, the four soils and then he gave some explanation and then he gave the explanation of the four soils and there's kind of a structure. And then last week, there was, again, it was with the wheat and the tares, and you had the wheat and the tares, and then you had a couple of different parables, and then explanation of the wheat and tares. And so th- there's like this little structure going on, and I-, I couldn't help but to see it again this week as we were looking into this. Uh, there's there's going to be a little triad of parables this morning, and you're going to have the, the hidden treasure, we're going to have the... Um, the pearl of great price, and then also the dragnet. And I was kind of looking at these as like, okay, I don't want to manufacture it, but is there a connection? Are these things linked together? And as I was looking at it, you know, I want to be careful not to just kind of go, okay, well, you know what? It was linked together last week, and it was linked together the week before, so obviously it's going to be linked together. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, we always want to look at the scriptures fresh each day. And as I was looking at this one, it's like, you know what? I couldn't help but to see a common thread. It, it, it's very um, in your face um, on this one. And then there's also a, a structural makeup on this where the last parable actually sets, again, the time frame uh, for the, the previous two. And so um, all of these, I really do believe, are linked together. I think they are of a, um, a specific topic that the Lord is addressing. And so I'm going to teach it that way. Uh, this morning, th- the main topic that is found within these parables is the topic of redemption. Now, when we look in scriptures, uh, redemption is a very common theme. It's something that we talk about. It's, it's one of those Christianese where you know, we talk about redemption. When you, when you go to, uh, you know, I don't know, you go to a restaurant or something like that, people aren't going to say, will you please redeem your bill? You know, that, that's not the way they talk. That's the way Christians talk. And there's a reason because the scripture is full of redemption. When we think about Christ and what he did on the cross, it was an act of redemption. And this morning, Jesus is going to be speaking about a couple different, um, a couple different parables where he is going to draw likeness to uh, what he is going to do on the cross in the future. But he is kind of he's tipping his cards to us now, and he is speaking of this topic of redemption. So uh, we're just going to jump right in, verse forty-four, and we are going to uh, complete uh, these parables, and uh, then we'll come back and we'll dig in. So uh, join with me in verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out his treasure, things new and old. 
Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, we pray that You would give application to our lives, Lord, to our hearts, our souls this morning. Lord, we pray that You would speak, Lord, with the authority of heaven. Lord, that we would not leave this place the same as we came. But Lord, that we would hear Your voice in this place. For we know, Lord, that Your Word does go forth and it, it, it accomplishes its goodwill. And so, Lord, we just ask that You would move in our lives now. Lord, for those of us who are trapped, Lord, in bondage of sin, Lord, I pray that You would set the captive free. For those of us who, Lord, are just maybe troubled, Lord, we're under great persecution, maybe at work, maybe uh, we're just struggling through um, just being a Christian in this uh, anti-Christian uh, generation that we are in. Lord, I pray that You would be our strength. Lord, for those of us who are seeking You, Lord, and loving You, Lord, and feel like we're just on fire for You, Lord, I pray that You would just continue to fan just the flame of our passion for You. Lord, that You would stir us, Lord. Lord, that You would give direction and guidance, Lord, in all that You would have for us, that we may glorify You. So, Lord, we come here now, Lord, anxious, anticipating, Lord, desiring, needful of Your Word. Speak, Lord, for your children are listening. For we come in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the kingdom of heaven. The parables, I, I spoke to you guys before. I've kind of given the description. You know, what exactly is a parable? You know, sometimes you know, you've probably heard that a parable, oh, it's a good story to make it so it sticks in your head and you can remember it and, and that truth will stay with you forever. Well, that is kind of true, you know, the, the way our minds work, we definitely hold on to stories and illustrations and things like that. Jesus being a master teacher, the master teacher, he used a lot of illustrations. He used things like that in order to captivate our attention and things like that. But Jesus himself said at, at the beginning of the parables that these were actually given that way. Um, truths from before the foundation of the world could be given. Yet those who do not have a heart to hear would not hear. Right? It's a way of actually concealing the truth. And you think, wow, did Jesus really conceal the truth? Yeah, he really did. But now here's the thing. The, the truth of the kingdom of heaven is a mystery. Now, a mystery isn't something that's meant to be kept secret forever. It's something that is meant to be sought out. That we, the, the, the children of this age, the children of this world, we are called when we hear the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, it is supposed to stir in us something that causes us to say, what? What does that mean? And draw near to Jesus, the one who, who can give the answer of what it means. We are to draw near to him. That's what it's meant to do. But there are people who are very hardened, and we saw it within, just within the text that we've been reading, that when they heard these parables, they're just like, Meh, whatever, and they, off they go. But those who truly desired to look into these things, they drew near to the Lord. They came to him and asked. They questioned. They, saw, they said, Lord, what do these things mean? What do these things mean? And Jesus spoke. He gave utterance. He answered and, and let them know. It's like, hey, guys, you know, the, the prophets from long ago wrote these things down, not for their sakes, because they didn't understand what they were, but for your sakes, because you are hearing the things that the prophets, the kings wanted to know, looked into, eagerly sought, yet did not know. They have been given to you. And so here we are this morning, and the, the, the parables have gone forth. We, we've read these parables of Jesus, and yet sometimes, you know, at the end of these parables, he says, do you understand? And then a lot of us go, no, Lord, I don't. And like, why did those, those, those disciples, they're lying, they didn't understand. Why didn't they say, no, Lord, we don't. Explain them all. That would have been very helpful to us, but they didn't. Probably because they were embarrassed, they said, yes, Lord, we understand. 
But you know what? Here's the thing. In the same sense, I believe that we, when we come to a parable that we don't completely understand, we think like, oh gosh, what is this? I don't think it's meant to be kept secret from us because the word of God is a mystery. Absolutely. But Jesus wants us to come and sit at his feet and ask him and say, Lord, explain to us the parable of the mustard seed. Lord, explain to us the parable of the dragnet. Lord, let us know. And he will speak. And so we need to come in that heart. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven. So we're, we're, we're talking about the people of God, the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of heaven is like. Now, does that mean the kingdom of heaven is? No, it's like. It, it, it's a similitude. It's something, it's similar. It's in the same likeness as. That, that's what this word like means. The kingdom of heaven is similar to, and then he's going to give an illustration. Okay, what is the kingdom of heaven similar to? It's similar to a treasure that is hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, you can sit there and say, okay, well, you know, I I can kind of, in my mind's eye, I can picture this scene. It's like, okay, the field, we've already talked about it in the four soils, in the wheat and the tares, in the mustard seed. You know, the field is the world. Right. So it's like, you know, that 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 seems pretty common uh, throughout uh, these parables. It's like, okay, there we go. So there's a treasure hidden in the field. Now, uh, what's this treasure? What's the treasure? Well, if you are somebody who likes to look at commentaries and things like that, then, you know, I heard one commentator say, oh, uh, the treasure is Jesus. Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field in that, you know, we, as we're going along, we find the treasure and we rejoice over it and we sell everything we have for to buy the world back. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about you guys. That doesn't fit like in my theology. Um, it sounds nice. It sounds good. But, you know, in, in a workspace religion where it's like, it's like, oh, I have to do this thing. I have to crawl on my knees from here to San Diego, beating myself along the way. Then that sounds right. It sounds good. It's like, you know what? By my pain, by my sacrifice, I have purchased the right to, to know my God and to, to come into his presence. I've purchased my ticket to heaven. But I don't think that really sounds scriptural. When I look at the concept of redemption, because that's what's happening here. Uh, th- this man, he sees this treasure in the field, and what does he do? He, he goes and he does what? Does he, take the, does he just take the treasure out of the field and, and go on his way? What does he do? Well, the treasure doesn't belong to him. It belongs to somebody else. And that's a first important point that we need to understand on this. This field is not the field of the man who is doing the purchasing. He had to go purchase the field. And you think, okay, well, what does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Well, when you look at this parable and then you look at the next parable, the next parable, uh, I want you to notice two key things on here. Number one, there's two treasures. There's a treasure in each of these two parables. Okay, one is a treasure. It doesn't say exactly what that treasure is. In the second one, it's a pearl of great price. Okay, both of them, there is a treasure. Okay, in this first one, though, does the man go and purchase the treasure? Does he go to the person who owns the field and say, hey, guess what? I found oil in your field and I want to buy it. Will you please give me that? Will you sell me your field? Because then that would be crazy. The person would say, absolutely not. I'm going to go drill, you know. You know <laughs> that's it. You know, Beverly Hillbillies, here we come. And 
you know, that's exactly what would happen. That's not what happens. This guy, when you look at this field, this field is like in the mustard seed parable. It is a cultivated field. It's not like a like a wild field. Like if you go over under the hills, if you just look that way you know, towards the mountains and you see all those foothills, if you go to those foothills, they're full of weeds and a lot of sharp prickly things that get in your socks that is really uncomfortable when you go hiking through it. Yeah, that's over there. That's not this field. This field is a cultivated field. This is a field that belongs to somebody. This is something that people do the plowing and things like that, that they plant their crop in. Okay. So this, this man is going through this field and he discovers a treasure. He discovers a treasure that is hidden in that field. And so what does he do? He goes and in order to get the treasure, he has to first do what? He has to buy the field. He has to purchase. He has to redeem the field. Okay, now we see this, this concept uh, throughout the scriptures. When Jesus died on the cross, did he die for you and me only? When he, when he purchased us with his blood, did he purchase us only? The answer is no. The answer is no. We actually see, even uh, if you move forward into the book of Revelation, when in, in chapters 4 and 5, you see Jesus standing before the throne and the title deed of the earth is placed in his hand. Right. He is the only one who is was able to open it. He was the only one who was able to redeem it. There is nobody else on heaven or on earth that could redeem it. Not God, the father, which seems shocking to me. But nevertheless, God, the father, he he was not able to redeem it. Right. Was there any angel in heaven? Michael, Gabriel, any of the like, could any of them redeem it? The answer was no. What about uh, the great saints of old? Mary herself, could she redeem it? And the angel said, remember the apostle John fell down crying? And he's like, and, and he's like, what's, you know, and, and the angel says like, why are you crying? And, and, and there he was, he was just crying. And he's like, you know, the reason why he was crying is because nobody was found on, in heaven or on earth who was worthy of opening the scroll. Only one. And he comforted, the angel comforted John saying, fear not, the line of the tribe of Judah has overcome and he is able to open it. He is able to unleash the seals. And so the title deed was given to Jesus. And then when you get into chapter six, seven and, and the, the, the rest of them, you see Christ opening the seals. Boom, boom, boom. There he is. He's, he's opening up the seals to the title deed of the earth. Okay. So here's the thing. Since when was the earth sold? What happened? You know, what does all that mean? Well, you go back to Genesis, the very beginning, the fall, Adam and Eve. Remember, the, the Lord gave dominion of the earth to Adam and Eve. He, he basically gave it to them. It, it was a possession for Adam and Eve. And then when Adam and Eve sinned, when they yielded to the devil, they became the devils. Because who's, um, who, whoever master you serve, you become their slave. Right. Whoever you serve, you become their slave. That's why God said you can't serve two masters. Right. Because if you serve God, then you are his. You are his doulos. You are his bondservant. But if you serve the devil, you are his. You belong to him. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and served the devil, when they obeyed him, then they and all that they owned became the devils. And you think, gosh, that that seems kind of crazy. But you know what? Nevertheless, you see it in the scriptures and you see it fulfilled in Revelation. Like Jesus had to purchase back the field. He had to purchase back the earth in order to redeem us. And we actually see in the Old Testament, we see um, a, a, a very real picture of this in the scriptures. And if you actually go back to the book of Ruth, you guys remember Ruth? Remember um, you had Elimelech, 
uh, Naomi's husband, and then Malon and Chilion, and then they had the, the two sons had the wives uh, Orpah and uh, Ruth. Remember them? Remember all of that? So what happened in that in, in that story? Okay, well, what you had is um, you had this guy, you know, um, Elimelech. He he owned land uh, in the nation of Israel as part of his inheritance that was passed down to him. Right, of the promised land, and then there was a famine in the land. And so what did he do? He did something that you were allowed to do in Israel. You could sell your birthright. You could sell your possession. Now, it's not permanent. It's not a, a permanent sale. It's only until the year of Jubilee. So at the maximum, you could sell your property for 50 years. Well, any, I, I, I don't know how much time was in there, but he sold his land, took the proceeds, and he went to Moab. And there he, he, he bought some new land and he, you know, he started you know, his family off on a, a, a new piece of land, a new, a new property, a new farm. And so there they were. And then lo and behold, Elimelech died. Uh-oh. Okay, so now remember, they sold the land in Israel, but it's still their possession, right? They, they basically, they couldn't really sell it completely. They could only lease it out. And so now that property in Israel because Elimelech died, it now passes down to Malon, his eldest son. Okay, so now Malon has it. Well, uh-oh, trouble and dodge. Malon also dies. So then that land passes down to Chilean, unless Chilean died first, whatever. They don't really tell us. They just say they died. And then when Chilean died, uh-oh, where does it go? Okay, now there's an issue. Who does the land get passed down to? Who's going to keep the name alive uh, for those people? Well, th- there was from the daughters of Zelophehad, for you Bible students, uh, there was a provision made where a woman could inherit. If there was no male children, a woman could inherit. That way, the father's name wouldn't be like, uh, you know, removed from the nation of Israel. Okay, that was something that was available. So Naomi regained possession of the land. She inherited it. But here's the thing. To redeem the land, you have to have the, um, the resources to do it. You have to have the, the right of ownership. You have to be either a near kinsman or she herself, obviously she is, of the family. But you also have to have the, um, the resource to do it because, remember, they sold their property. And so now if they wanted to buy it back, they would go to the person that they sold it to and they would have to purchase it back. Whatever the remainder, you know, because basically what they did, they set it up by crops, okay? If, if at the very beginning of the 50-year the period before the year of Jubilee, you'd have 50 crops until then, and you would sell, that, that piece of land would be worth a lot because there would be 50 crops that you would be able to get from it. So that's what the, that would set the price, okay? So what, however many crops you know, went in between there, it would remove from the price of what they originally sold it for, and they can come back and redeem it. That was a right that they had. The person who bought it from them, who leased it from them, cannot refuse. He has to sell it back. Uh, and, and that was a way that there would never be poverty. You know, like today in our culture, what happens? You sell your house, or let's say you die, and your, your kids inherit your house, but then the government taxes you huge for it, like 50%, right? And so it's like in a lot of people, they can't actually afford the taxes on the house, and so they lose the house. So you have people, you, the inheritances are being stolen, and, and they, they, they can't be you know, kept. See, God had a better plan. He had a better system. It's like, you know what? You will never lose. You, you might lose it for 50 years, but at the end of the 50 years, the year of Jubilee, it all comes back. All debts are reversed. You know, if, you're, if you sold yourself into slavery, you get free everything, right? That, that was the whole kit and caboodle, okay? So then you have basically Orpah. She leaves. You have Ruth. She says, you know what? Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You know, where you go, I go. Where you die, I'll die. 
right? She gave herself to Naomi and they go back to Israel because they had nothing left in Moab. And so they go back and now Naomi needs her land to be redeemed. She can't do it. She doesn't have the resources to do it. And now here's the thing. Notice how she and now Ruth, because Ruth was married to her son. She, Ruth is her daughter-in-law. So now they are tied to the land, right? They are, they are, they're part and parcel. When the person, when, when the kinsman redeemer, when the Goel comes, if, if the, if the Goel is a near family member, a near kin, and they have the resources and are willing to purchase it back to redeem the land, they also have to redeem Ruth because she is part of it. She comes with it. And they are to literally take Ruth as a wife in order to bring children. And, but the children won't be in the kinsman redeemer's name. It'll be in the name of Malon or Chilion, right? It'll be in their name. Okay, so that, that's kind of, are you guys tracking with me? That's this whole story of redemption. That, that's what this whole thing is. And so they were very connected to the land though. It, the guy can't just say, hey, you know what? I'll take the land. And actually in the story of Ruth, when Boaz goes to the, the nearer kinsman redeemer and says, hey, you know, Naomi needs you to redeem her field. And the guy's like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll do it. I've got the resources. I'm good. I'm willing. And then he says, oh, but also, uh, you know, Ruth, the Moabitess, you know, she was, uh, either Mo, uh, Malon or Chilion's wife. So you got to redeem her too and raise up uh, children in uh, the dead's name. And the guy's like, hey, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. Why would, he, why would he be opposed? Two reasons. Okay, number one, he has to spend all this money to redeem it. And that land won't go to his children. It'll go to the children of Ruth, right? So he's spending his money. He's, he's taking away from the inheritance that he is saving up for his children. And he's giving it to these children. And he's like, <laughs> no way. And then not only that, but she's also a Moabitess, which are cursed under the law. And so he's like, I, I don't want anything to do with that. There's no way. C- can you imagine having to come to, to um, you know, go to church and like, oh, you're married to who? To what? No way. He's like, no, thank you. So even though he was a near kinsman, even though he had the resources, he was not willing. He would not do it. Now you look at God, the father, God, the father has all the resources in in the world, right? But you know what? Was God, the father near of kin to us? He created us. So in that sense, you can kind of say yes, but, but God is God and we are man. And there is a huge gulf in between those two things. He was not near of kin to us. So God was not, God, the father was not qualified to redeem us. So what had to happen? God had to become man. He had to enter in to, he had to veil himself in flesh and he had to become a kinsman of us. That way he could become our Goel. He could be our kinsman redeemer. And so God came down and he was here. Then he had to have the resources in order to purchase this field, right? This field. Okay. So how, what was the thing? What was necessary? What are the resources to purchase this field back? Well, you can't have a sin nature. Why? Well, the wages of sin is death. We, we already know that. And so when Adam and Eve sinned and all of their line after them have sin, they are, when they die, they die for their own sin. They can't die for the sins of another. They can't redeem the world. They can't redeem. They can't be the kinsman redeemer because even though they may be willing, a lot of people would say, I'll give my life for the world. I'll give my life for the world. That's, that's a really nice sentiment, but I'm sorry, you're not qualified. You don't have the resources. You can't pay the price, right? You're too poor, unfortunately. So they couldn't. Well, 
when Jesus came, number one, he has the resources. He, he, he's willing. He's God. And he comes down as man. He lives a sinless life. That means when he dies on the cross, he doesn't die for his own sin, but he can substitute himself for us. He can pay the debt that, that was put on us. Right? He can pay our debt. And so when he does that, now, number one, he is a close, he's a, he's a kinsman redeemer. He, he's a next of kin. You know, he, he, he entered in in every way. He was like us. He was completely man, yet still completely God. He had the resources. He was sinless. He was without sin. And then number three, he was willing. Who took Christ's life? No one. Was it the Romans? Was it Pilate? Was it the Jews who, who were, you know, trying to, trying to stir up the people against him? No. Nobody took his life. He gave it. He was willing. And in that, Jesus, this is what this parable is about. It's the redemption of the land. It's the redemption of the entire earth. That is what's going on here. See, Jesus, when he looked at this field, now it, it, you can maybe make draw like a, a little scarlet thread from this parable. You go back to the four soils. It happens in a field, again, a cultivated field, right? The word of God goes forth. It produces its perfect work. And only those hearts that had hardened themselves to the word kept it from being fruitful. But the, the heart that was uh, willing and, and yielded to that seed, it produced a crop, some 100, some 60, some 30, right? And then you come to the parable of the four so uh, of the wheat and the tares. And then what do you see? Okay, so if you kind of extrapolate from the four soils parable, you come down to the wheat and the tares. Now you have a whole field, the, the, the totality of history right here in front of you. And you have those who would, were soft towards the word and those who are hard towards the word. And there they are all standing right there. Okay, you go to you know, the mustard seed, same thing, and you see the growth that you see the word of God moving within the people. You see the growth, you know, kind of an unnatural growth, you know, it's supposed to be producing more seed or good people. Um, people who are soft yielded to the Lord, uh, but it kind of changes into the great tree, the mustard tree, which is a different thing. It's real, but it's different, and it produces a different kind of fruit. And, but it, it's all kind of, it's, they're all kind of there. They're kind of foggy. Not exact. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is like, similar to. It's not exact. Okay? And, and then you come to this one now. And it says, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. So what's the treasure? If you go from the four soils to the, the wheat and the tares to uh, the mustard seed, in all of those cases, what was the treasure? What was the seed? What was, what was in the field? It's us. It's us. It's people who are yielded to the word of God. It's people who give their hearts to him, who submit themselves to his word, his commands. And so he says, I, I don't know about you guys, but this is incredible to me. God. Now, how many of you grew up with a Catholic background? I didn't go to church much. Most of the time when I went to church, it was with my grandmama. And she was a little Mexican woman. And we would go to Catholic mass. And you know what? The only thing that was scarier than the priest was my grandma if we said that we didn't want to go. You know, it's like, you know, because like God is there. You know, it's like God, God is. And she told us all the time, you know, like God hates that. You know, I had long hair at the time. And she's like, you know, God hates that. That's filthy. You know, and I'm like, didn't Jesus have long hair? Yeah, but that's different. You know, and, and she was just like, but like I had this, this idea of God as being angry. He's the angry God, you know, and, and like, and Jesus is like this wilting violet, you know, effeminate and just kind of like this. And then God, the father is angry. And it's just like, oh, what do I do with that? But you know what? Look at this. I love this in verse 44. It says that, so the man, he, he finds the treasure 
he finds the treasure in the field. He looks, remember the, the wheat in the terrace, he looks upon his field and he sees all of the good seed. He sees all of the good crop that is, that is, that is growing up. Right? He looks upon it. And so he, he looks at this field and he sees the treasure. And then listen to this. For joy over it. For joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus wasn't a rich man. He was born in a manger, right? He was poor. When, when his mom and dad uh, went and circumcised him on the eighth day, as, as the custom is for the Jews, uh, what did they offer? Did they offer a bull? That's, that's the sacrifice of the rich people. Did they offer a lamb? That's the sacrifice for middle class. Or did, did they offer two doves that anybody can get? The poorest of the poor could trap two doves. That's what they offered. Jesus was born into poverty. Okay, he was born into poverty. He was not a rich man. So what was it that Jesus had? What was this, this, you know, it says in the field that he sold all that he had to purchase the field. What did Jesus have? Was it money? His silver and gold, is that what he used to redeem your soul? Is that how he purchased us back? The answer is no. What did Jesus have? His life. His blood. That was his possession. That is what he, you know, Jesus was homeless. He had no home. He, he said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. He went from place to place. Most of the time he slept out in those three years. When we see his ministry, where did the people sleep? Where did he and his disciples sleep? Garden of Gethsemane, you know, out on, in the wilderness. They were homeless. Every once in a while they'd come into a house and, and, like, and live there and like, talk there and stuff. But for the most part, he was out in the middle of nowhere. So what you have here is Jesus. He looks at you. And he looks at me and, and Jesus, because of his foreknowledge, being God, he could look across time and eternity and he could see you sitting here in this sanctuary. He could look and see you on the day that you would give your heart to him. He could look across all of the millennia and he could see you. And for joy over that. He went to the cross. For the joy of your redemption, he went to the cross. And this word joy, it means literally to like dance and skip and to be exuberant. Right? So when it'd be like if you guys, you know, Trinity at the, at the end, she got those metal detectors, right? It'd be like you take one of those metal detectors. You see guys at the beach do them all the time. Like they're walking by and they have their big you know, earphones on and they're kind of doing this kind of thing. And those are the people that you kind of tease and you take like bottle caps and throw them in the sand. Am I the only one who does that? Anyway, it'd be like you were walking along, like out in the middle of nowhere, and like beep, 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 and you go, and you start to dig it up, and you find just like bricks of gold, right? How excited would you be? Because when you're actually doing that, what are you looking for? You're looking for like quarters. Maybe I'll find a ring or something like that. That would be like the big time. (laughs) I found a ring. But like, what if you came, and all of a sudden you came to literally a cache of gold that somebody had buried a long time ago, hundreds of years ago? You'd be like flipping out. You'd be like, ah! <laughs> and you'd be screaming, jumping out like, I can't believe I found this. I got to hide it. I got to hide it. You know, they're going to tax me on this for sure. You know, and then you like, you like carry it out and, and take it to your car and the whole bit. Like, what do I do? What do I do? Do I, how do I report this? I don't want the government to take all of it. You know, like, how do I just keep some of it? You know, what do I do? You'd be excited. You'd be completely stoked. And, and that's the wording here. It's like literally for joy. Right? Christ was so joyful over your salvation, over your well-being, over your redemption, that he was excited to go to the cross. 
He was now, he despised the shame. The scriptures say that. But for the joy of you and me, he endured it. And it's joy. It's yippee, ha ha, joy. Right? That's, that's the heart. When Christ, when, when he redeemed this earth, and he did need to redeem the earth because this earth was tied to us in the same way that Ruth was tied to their land. He needed to redeem this earth, but when he redeemed this earth, he saw the treasure. It's not the earth that he, that he was looking to redeem because in the end, does he care about the earth? Sorry, Jesus isn't all that green. Um, it, it will be really nice in the end, but before that happens, he's going to destroy this whole thing. The, the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. It's all going to go away. Okay, but then he's going to recreate it and it will be beautiful. It will be really nice. It'll be very eco-friendly then. Okay, but in the meantime, I'm sorry, but this earth is going to get like really messed up. Okay, so do your part. I'm not telling you just to like, ah, forget it. I'm going to throw my plastic in the trash then. You know, it's like, you know, that's fine. We're supposed to be stewards and all, but just know, don't get too tied up in these things because this earth's going to go bye-bye. Okay, so one thing I I, I want to point out on this though, before we move on to... um, before we move on to the next parable, is that when Jesus died to redeem the earth, was his intention to leave the treasure on the earth? This person who found the treasure in the field, was it his intention to go, oh, look, yay, a treasure, that's awesome. And, it, and that, that word treasure, it just means stockpile, tons of it, right? So when he found it, was he going to go, oh, and, and he goes and, and, he, and he, he sells all that he has and gives it to the person. He buys a field. I've got the field. Okay, I'm just going to leave it there. And, and like, was, was, is that what he would do? Of course not. The purpose is to bring the treasure to himself. The purpose is to take it and bring it out of the field to himself. Okay? With that, move on to verse 45. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, there's that word again. A merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so here you go. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Okay, number one, you need to understand what this merchant is. Okay, when we think of a merchant in our day and age, what do you think of? Think of somebody over at, you know, uh, like Sears or someplace like that. You know, those of you who have worked retail, that's what we think of. Like somebody behind the, the counter, hey, how are you? Or you're like walking through the mall and they spray you in the face. And you're like, ah, you know, that kind of a thing. Like that's what we think of a merchant. But that's not really what the concept of this. This, this is more like a traveling salesman. Okay, th- this is somebody who literally travels from place to place, but... In this case, it's not somebody who's going out selling things, but it's somebody who's going out in search of something. It's somebody who is leaving. So if you enter into the minds of the people here in this day that Jesus is speaking to, you'd imagine this good Jewish man going out and traveling the roads in search of great treasure. Right? It's a person going to and fro. Now, it's kind of there's a little bit of a, um, a rub here because he's seeking out pearls, but pearls come from an unclean animal to the Jews. Uh, you know the oysters and so this is kind of like a little like the the, the jews be kind of like huh it's kind of like when 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 somebody comes like if if like a mormon comes to your door and they start telling you stuff you kind of like it sounds kind of right but something's just doesn't sound quite right that's what it would be that's what when jesus is telling this parable it would be like that to the jews they'd be like what pearls huh wait but that's unclean that's not you know pearls weren't overly valuable to the jews He's like, huh? And so what you have here is a man. We know 
the man is Christ. We saw that in the, in the parables before. But he says, look, he says he was out in search of these pearls. So he's looking for it. And it says that when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, this time I want you guys to notice the difference. Okay, in the parable before, what was it that the man purchased? He redeemed the field. In this one, he purchases the treasure itself directly. Okay, see, so now you see it's the, the dual work of the cross. The cross purchased the, the, the world back. It purchased the field. But then not only that, but it purchases you and me individually. Right? This man was out searching for pearls. And when he found the pearl, he found this is the pearl. He went out and he purchased it. And notice where he's purchasing it from. Okay, again, Jews aren't big dealers of pearls. Okay, it's not like, it, it's just not, it's not really kosher. And so where did this man go now? See, first he purchased the world and the treasure that was in it. Now he's going out and in order to, to find great pearls, where would he have to go? Where would he go in search of these pearls? Would it be the people of the Jews? Would he go in Israel? No, he would go into the highways and the byways. He would go to the Gentiles, right? He would go to the Gentiles and he would seek out these pearls. And he, when he finds the great pearl, right, this would be the church. It says that he sold all that he had and purchased it back. In the same sense, he bought the field and the treasure. Now he's buying the, he's taking all that he has, same thing, and he's purchasing now this treasure, this great pearl. Pretty cool, huh? See how all these things kind of tie together? So number one, it's a story of redemption of the land and the treasure that was in it. Number two, it's a story of redemption of this pearl of great price, right? But again, unkosher. So it, it, it kind of it leans over towards like, hey, you know what? More than likely, this is speaking of the Gentile believers out of the world. And then he says in uh, verse 47, uh, he moves on to the next parable. And this one, uh, a little bit different than the two, because we're, we're going to leave the field now. And um, we're going to get a little bit of a different take on the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. You guys know what a dragnet is? They still use them today, actually. Uh, it's the fastest way to get a big uh, haul of fish. What they do nowadays is that you, you have a big boat and you have weights on the end of it and you throw this huge, huge net that goes out and they just tow it. And what it does, it scrapes along the bottom. It, it does a lot of damage, actually. But it scrapes along the bottom and anything and everything in the path of that net gets scooped up. And then they just they draw the whole thing back up. It cinches closed and comes up. And you know if, if you're going after... Uh, tuna well you'll get the tuna but you're going to get a whole bunch of other stuff too and what they do is all, all the other animals they killed and they just throw them overboard and you know the good stuff they they keep okay that's what happens in modern day in uh in the ancient times what they would do they would have these same kind of things they'd throw these great big nets out and then they'd drag them back into shore and they'd have big bonfires going on the shore and then like all all the animals that they didn't want the unclean animals and things like that they'd just throw them in the fire because they don't want to like they don't want to have like all these dead animals floating in the water. So what do they do with them? They burn them. So they take them out and they they throw them like that. And then the good stuff that they really want, they they keep in their own vessels and have them. So he says, um, the kingdom of heaven is like that dragnet uh, that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. Okay, so now I want you to notice something on this um, that I believe is important because it casts light on the two parables. And actually, even it, it, it kind of goes along with the whole wheat and the tares and it, it moves back. It, 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 it creates that unity among these parables. But it says that 
this, this number one, this kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea. Um, in the scriptures, especially if you go forward into the book of Revelation, uh, seas, when they're talking um, in these metaphorical pictures, are actually described as peoples, like people groups. Uh, when you go into, you see the, the beast that comes out of the sea, you know, the, the angel later describes it as the beast that came out of the multitudes of people. Okay, so you go, okay, well, that's interesting. So this great net was cast out of the people. You can imagine the Lord Jesus Christ hucking out this huge net into all the people that would ever come. And it says that he gathered some of every kind. And what I find fascinating is that word for kind, every kind, is a word that literally, it doesn't just mean like fish. It means like every tongue, every tribe, every nation, literally in those contexts. And it can, it can also mean species. But it is a word that is used in the, in the scriptures mostly when it is concerning people groups. Okay, So we see a consistency right here. So he's gathering in some of every kind, which, now listen to this, this is the important part, and this is the whole thing that I believe sets the timeline of these other parables. When it was full. Remember the wheat and the tares? The angels asked, Lord, should we go and and tear out all the tares? And the Lord said, no. He said, because if you do, you might uproot some of the wheat as well. He says, but let them grow together. He says, at the end of the age, then, you know, we'll we'll take the tares and and we'll throw them into the fire. We'll take the wheat and we'll put them in the barns. Right. Again, here here it is. You see this whole same concept. You see this great big dragnet that goes out and and this net. This is a big net because it it scours from each basically from the creation of the world, Adam and Eve, all the way until today. And it goes beyond us. This net goes over our head and it moves on into the future. This is a great net and it is grabbing from every single person. Every single nation, every single tongue, every single tribe is within this net. Okay, none will escape this net. Right? If you're a little fishy, just keep swimming, just keep you're not going to get away from it. All right, it's closing in. It's coming around. And it says that when it was full. Okay, there's a lot of timings for things. Like, okay, you know, when is the church going to get raptured? When the time of the Gentiles, right? When, when the fullness of the Gentile has come in. When, when all of the Gentiles are done, church is over done right and and in the same sense uh when you come to the end of the age when is the second coming of christ going to be the second coming of christ is going to come when uh when all of the people who would repent do and the people who won't won't and that's the end of it right second coming of christ comes and there you go tribulation's over then you have one more you have one more opportunity okay what about when will the heavens and the earth be recreated? When will the new heavens and the new earth happen? Well, in the time of the millennia, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to be born that have to choose between good and evil. They're going to, they're going to grow up in, a, in a, a, a time of absolute righteousness. Jesus Christ is going to be the king of the world, literally. And then Satan's going to be let out, and those people are going to choose wickedness. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And then when that time is done, it's over. And the heavens and the earth will melt away and the dead in, in Christ and the dead that are remain like in Hades and all that will be judged and then a new heavens and a new earth will be created. Right? There's a timing on all of these things. And this dragnet scours everything. Every single soul that ever exists will come in this net. And know what it, what it says. It says, so in verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and they will separate the wicked from among the just the same thing that happened in the wheat and the tares parable wasn't it he says the angels will separate the wicked from among the just and says in verse 50 
the exact same ending as the parable of the wheat and the tares. He says, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That is exactly how the, the parable of the wheat and the tares ended. And you just go like, wow, that's heavy. That's heavy. But see, that's the reality. That's the reality. There, there are no people who can escape this. You are either part of the good soil. You are either the part that is fruitful, that the word of God is having its perfect will in your life and you are becoming fruitful or you are the people who are hardened towards it. But notice there is no way out. The dragnet covers all of it and there is no escaping the dragnet. You can't just say, oh, well, you know what? I I put my time in with Buddha and Buddha is going to see me through. No, 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 no. Buddha is in this dragnet too. Yeah, he, he, he's in it. He's like, oh, what's going on? You know, it's, you know there, there's no way out of it. Every single person will come through this dragnet and every single person by the angel's hands will be brought either into the place of torment or they will be brought into the place of safety and peace. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then Jesus said in verse 51, have you understood all these things? Now they said, yes, Lord. But I, I, I kind of ask you, have you guys understood all of these things? Now, we can say, hey, you know what? I, I think I'm getting a grasp on these things. And, and you know what? Continue to seek them out. Continue to meditate on them. Continue to ponder over them. Talk about them. But you know what? Listen to this, though. This is the final exhortation that the Lord gives. He says, then he said to them, therefore, since you understand, since these things have been given to you, Right? They weren't given to King David. They weren't given to Isaiah the prophet. They were given to you. He says, since they have been given to you, he says, every scribe instructed, that word instructed literally means discipled. It's a disciple. We're, we're disciples, right? He says, every scribe discipled, instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder, a master of the house, somebody who owns the property, who brings out of his treasure it's that same word that treasure is found in the field. It's a big stockpile. It's a pile of things. Things new and old. All right, guys, um, just application-wise, we have the New Testament. We have the Old Testament. We have these great treasures. We have these truths that men and angels look to understand, desiring to know, desiring to, like, to comprehend them. And they have been given to us. They have been given to us. And so the Lord says, you are like a master You are like a homeowner and these things are your treasure. These things are yours. And it literally says that who brings out of his treasure. And that literally means to cast. You're to take this treasure and you're to cast it out. You're to send it out. It's not for you just to take and go "Mm," and and to stockpile and get more and more treasure. And we can we can easily do that, can't we? We can do that coming to to church on on Sundays, on Wednesdays, Bible studies throughout the week, listening to K-Wave on our own, doing, you know, you know, little Bible studies like Beth Moore and things like that and women's group and, and all those kind of things. We can do all those things and we can store up great quantities of treasure for us. But in the end, what's the purpose? The purpose goes all the way back to the original seed. Remember the four soils? It bore more seed. It was fruitful. Some 100, some 60, some 30. You go back to the, remember the parable of the mustard seed? What's the, what's the purpose of mustard? Right, that, that herb, it's the seed itself to bear more seed. That's what you make mustard out of. You grind it together. And Jesus says, guys, you 
my disciples. Because these things have been given to you. And you are to take from these things, new and old, and you are to cast them forth. You are to send them out that you might be more fruitful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for these parables, Lord, these mysteries, Lord, that have been kept silent for just the ages past. Yet, Lord, you have revealed them to your servants, the disciples, Lord, and to, and to us this day. Lord, we pray that we would ponder these things, Lord, that we would realize, Lord, how much you treasure us, that we are your treasure, that you are willing to lay down everything for us, that you might redeem this planet, Lord, and, and these hearts back to yourself. Lord, we pray that you would help us to just be mindful of the time, mindful of the reality, Lord, that judgment is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it is coming quickly. And Lord, though we may try to fool ourselves and say, I'm not in that dragnet, I'm not in that dragnet. I'm neutral, I don't know. Lord, I just pray that by Your Spirit, Lord, You would convict us, Lord, that we would know where we are, where we stand. And Lord, if we don't know You, then Lord, I pray that You would draw us close. Lord, that there would be a sense of anticipation, of anxiety even, Lord. That we would be unsettled, Lord, until we come to peace with You. But Lord, I pray that as we give our hearts to You, Lord, that You would bring about Your peace which passes all understanding. That is not taken or shaken by the waves of the sea, by the wind, or anything else. Lord, I pray that You would be here among us. Lord, that You would guide us and bless us. For we come in Your name, Jesus. Amen.